brag, but I will. Um, but unless you have an extremely talented band and worship team, you cannot do things like that. You just can't. And we have a very, very talented uh, worship band and team. We really do. Because it's not just the ability to play those songs, to be able to, but, but to arrange them in a way that fits together. I love when they do that, just be able to, you know, it's fun to come to church and just smile and laugh and reminisce. And how many people were thinking about how old they were at a certain time when that song came out? Where, anybody? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, that's one of the reasons we do it, because it does, for most of us, probably someone's scarred now. Oh, thanks for bringing that back up. Um, but for most of us, it's just reminiscing, and it's enjoyable. It's just fun to think, yeah, I remember that song, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Some of you have never heard of it. Um, but for some of us, it was a big hit way back when. Uh, a couple of things before I move into the sermon. Uh, later next week, um, I'm going to be going to a conference, kind of a last-minute thing. I was uh, showing some people around the, our campus and some of the things that we do with our business trees here uh, in Mason and around our area, around Cincinnati, and also some of the things that we do um, in third world countries like Nigeria, where we start businesses that then fund initiatives that can't fund themselves like education and healthcare, And just the way that our church has embraced marketplace ministry and how we do that. And they were, they were intrigued, to say the least, of, that a church um, was doing this. And then a pastor was coming around the, the, the uh, businessmen and women of the church and using the gifts and talents and abilities of the church to do some of these things. Because we have actually our business trees have succeeded. We are making money and we are beginning to fund things around the world. And uh, it, it's just been exciting. And as I'm sharing that with uh, one of these gentlemen, had no idea who he was. He was uh, the right-hand man of Ed Silvoso, who is one of the gurus of marketplace ministry. And long story short, they really, it really encouraged me to go to this conference. And since someone was going to pay my way, um, I, I, as your senior pastor, who will suffer for Jesus at all costs, am flying with my wife to Honolulu to go to this conference. And just, you know, so I think we should all just pray for me right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a long flight. You know what I'm saying? I might get aches in my legs, whatever that may happen. Um, but it really, it really is going to be a great opportunity because he, he, what they want to do is to introduce me to people uh, from their perspective who are extremely wealthy, who are coming from all over the world, and who are excited about funding um, kingdom ministry the way that we're doing it. So they said, if you come early to the conference, we'll, we'll set you up with these folks to have dinner or lunch with them. You can share the vision of your church and what's going on through self-sustaining enterprises. And so it's a wonderful opportunity that's really difficult to, to pass up, even if it was in, I, I was born in New Jersey, so I'm not knocking New Jersey, but even if it was in New Jersey, I would go because it's a great opportunity for our ministry. The other side of things is, is here locally. I mean, someone actually in the church called me last week and told me to get up and say this because, you know, I, I can get up and say, hey, there are people in the body who are struggling. There are people in the body who are suffering financially because of our, our situation, our economy. And that's one thing. But there was someone who came to me this week and said, I sat down with someone in our church and had no idea where they were financially. And they spilled their guts. And it was, it was a heartfelt discussion that we had on the phone. And they said, you need to get up again and say, I know you say it you know, once in a while, but you need to get up again and say that there are people in this church who are really struggling. Maybe the person sitting right next to you. And it's very difficult for people to come and tell you what's going on in their lives, especially from a financial standpoint. We've put out more money this year 
by 10 probably than any other year in our church's existence. Um, helping people within our own body. People, these aren't lazy people. These aren't people who don't want to work. These are people who lost their jobs or are working two jobs when they used to have another job and they're, they're just trying to make ends meet. And we're come, we as the body of Christ need to take care of our own first. We're not going to find people outside of our church to, to give money to take care of our own. We can do that for large projects around our community, around the world, but not right here in our own body. That's our responsibility. So I want to just encourage you I'll, that's a nice word. I'll use encourage. I want to encourage you to really think about your giving and to think through even this, even this morning, what you're willing to sacrifice. We can put in the elders fund and we can use that money to meet the needs of the people in this body. And I'll tell you, we, we've been giving so much this year to other people. And then when people find jobs, they're paying it back. They're giving that money back to the body for other, others as well. So when you give, you can know that your resources are invested, invested in the lives of people within our own body, in our community, and around the world. And I really want to push this morning for people to maybe sacrifice a little bit extra um, to make sure we have enough to take care of the needs in this body. Because I'm telling you, it could be the person sitting right next to you who is just so close to losing their home or something else, where if we came along and just gave them a little bit of a buffer, it would make all the difference in the world. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. That means, you know what? We share in the resources that God has given to us. All of what we have belongs to God, our time, our talents, and our treasures, all of it, including our treasures. And when you give, you're giving to those right next to you who are in need as well as giving to things around the world. Most of our giving here goes right here in our church and in our community. So I want to encourage you with that because we do these dynamic things all over the world and people say, what are we doing right at home? We have an incredible food pantry. We have a thrift store, two of them actually. Um, we, we give, we help people all around our community within our own body. You know, just real quick, I don't mean to take up a lot of time and I'll just say this one. Most people have no idea that this church, uh, people in this church have been going up to a nursing home for the last three or four years, every single Tuesday night for years. Those people, that is the highlight of, for the, for the people who are there, it is the highlight of their week when our church comes in. Because it's not a Christmas thing or a this thing. It is an every week thing. It is a way we invest. So when people say, well, what are you guys doing here locally? I could spend a month talking about what this church does locally. It's just that we do, what we do globally is so outrageous sometimes and the things that we're able to do that it, it, it supersedes her. And also it's difficult for me to get up and say, hey, we helped Sam Smith over there last week with his mortgage. You know what I mean? You just, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. Well, you know, so let's, let's keep that focus in our minds and let's remember that we, 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 we are here to focus at home first, take care of our own body first, and then those around the world. All right, we are in a series called I Want to Be Where the Rain Ends. It has been, for me personally, one of the, one of the most dynamic series um, that we've done in the history of our church. And the reason I say that is because of the response that the staff has been getting uh, from the people within the body of Christ and how you've been responding to it. And to be honest with you, this is one of those series that you write as a pastor to preach, but also you write to yourself. Um, and, and there are times in life where God calls us, you know, we, we want to get, you know, I want to be where the rain ends, but there are times in life where God calls us to boldly walk into the rain, not to try to avoid it, not to try to get around it or find a way out. And two weeks ago, we did a, a, a 
a sermon on Benaiah. We looked into the life of Benaiah, and it was one of those sermons that I will never forget because I couldn't wait to preach it, number one, and then the response that I, that I had received from many of you about how it touched your life is one of those, you know, those markers that you put down and say that was, that was a God moment, how God moved in this church and really impacted people's lives because Benaiah was someone who, uh, who, who showed such courage in the midst of adversity. He was one of David's mighty men. And this morning, I want to talk about three other mighty men of David's mighty men. These are three that the Bible kind of holds out as unique and special because of their, because of their deep love for God and their ability to overcome adversity. They loved God with all their hearts. They, David was their king. They loved David with all their hearts. And their ability to overcome adversity is legendary. You know, in many ways, David, King David, is a, is, is a foreshadowing of the coming Christ. And one of the ways that he foreshadows the coming Christ best is his, um, his time spent in the wilderness, his rejection in the wilderness. David spent a lot of time running away from Saul in the wilderness. And, and as David was out there, it, it's kind of, a, like I said, a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. David was the anointed and rightful king of Israel, of his nation. But he was rejected and, and, and he, was, he was unrecognized as the rightful king by the establishment. In the same way, Jesus Christ is the rightful king of all of humanity, though he is often rejected and unrecognized by this world. And so you see the similarities there. If you wanted to follow David, you needed to be willing to go out to David into the wilderness and, and be a part of his, his suffering, be a part of that rejection in the wilderness. You had to identify yourself with David. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be willing to, to stand with him in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to the truth. We need to be willing to stand up for Jesus Christ in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to the truth. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, it says this, Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Let us go outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city here on this earth, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And then in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, listen to this, listen to this. I, you know, you read through the, the books of the Bible and you just kind of read over things sometimes, but listen to what this says. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because everything went so well for them. That's not what it says. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. How many of us, I'm watching, we're going to go into a series in two weeks on the Ten Commandments. It's called, it's, it's 2010, it kind of works out well, Exodus 2010, which is one of the Ten Commandments. But we're going to go into that, and I'm just watching as a pastor over the years, our culture and our Christian culture drift further and further away from truth, further and further away from taking a stand for Jesus Christ and being caught up, if you will, in culture. Those of us who choose to stand and fight alongside Jesus Christ can identify in a spiritual way with those who went out with David into the wilderness and were willing to suffer for him and, and be with him. 
We can understand from a spiritual perspective what it must have been like for those in Israel to go out into the wilderness and be with David outside of the camp, if you will, outside of the norm, if you will. They were people who were, who were in need. They were people who were distressed. They were people who were dissatisfied with the status quo. They no longer just wanted to go along. The, the, the place that the leadership of Israel was taking them, they did not want to go, and they wanted to stand up against it. And David was a person who gathered unto himself those who were strong and who were willing and who were, will, who, who were ready to step out and say, we can no longer follow this ungodly path. We want to stand with truth. And out of that motley crew of people arose David's mighty men. And we see some of their exploits. We see some of their, their, their heroic deeds recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Their struggles, their, their suffering and their struggles and their victories reflect the lives of believers who have made Jesus Christ their king. We can identify with those in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel because we, we, as they go through their, their struggles and they go through their, their victories, as they go through their suffering, we can identify with them because we are followers of Jesus Christ and we will experience some of the same experiences that they had. So with that in mind, it's pretty easy to see how the actions of David's mighty men on the battlefield teach us valuable lessons in how to overcome our adversity. Because that's what we're dealing with. This whole series is looking at Old Testament characters and saying, how did these Old Testament characters, how did God work through these Old Testament characters to help them overcome adversity? And it's been such a blessing to my life personally to study this and to understand how God works through his people to help them through the rain. Three of the most famous of David's mighty men, the most famous, were Josheb, Basabeth, Eleazar, and Shammah. They were the three most famous mighty men. They were the ones that the Bible kind of holds out. The Bible tells us that Josheb, Basabeth, was a man who stood up against overwhelming odds and saw a great victory. In verse 8, it says this, He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. You know, some of you are facing some overwhelming odds of your own, some overwhelming adversity of your own. I mean, maybe you got a diagnosis you didn't expect. It's overwhelming. It's, it's, it's emotionally and physically overwhelming. Some of you have uh, like emotional struggles that you're facing right now. Some of you are going through a spiritual battle, trying to understand what this is all about, or you've been, you're an older Christian and you, you've gone through so much and you're asking, God, where are you? You're just going, it's overwhelming. Josheb Basabeth went through an overwhelming, stood up against overwhelming odds. And we can relate to that. We can understand as, as, we, as we read this and we see what, what these men had gone through. And we could say, yes, Lord, I, I feel like I am in that battle. I feel like I'm in the midst of a battle. And Lord, I don't know which way to go. You see, here's something exciting though. The greater the odds... You think about this. The greater the odds, the greater his glory when he gives you the victory. 
The greater the odds, the greater God's glory when he gives you the victory. As you work and as you strive and as you try to overcome these incredible odds, and then God comes in and gives you what you need, the strength that you need to be victorious, God then receives the glory. And the greater the odds and the weaker we are, the more glory God receives. So if you're in a situation right now where you feel like you're overwhelmed, you don't know what to do, be encouraged because God will help you through it. And when he does help you through it, all those around you, you will say, praise God, unbelievable. How did you make it through that? The greater the odds, the more glory when he gives you the strength to overcome it. God will continue to give us that strength. Eleazar was another mighty man who stood and fought um, against, again, overwhelming odds. He fought the enemy while his fellow soldiers were retreating. Imagine that. You're, you're, you're in this battle and you're trying to hold your ground and your fellow soldiers are scattering all over the place. Emotionally, spiritually, that would be a pretty much of a, that would be a struggle. When you're, when you're at work and there are other Christians around you and you're standing up for what's right and everybody else is like, you know. Or people say wonderful things like, you know, your faith is your own thing. It's personal. It's personal. Jesus. It's personal. And so you're, you're watching as, as all these things are going on around, you're trying to stand for truth and everybody else is kind of scattering and tell you how personal their faith. That's great. It's personal. Run off and hide with your personal faith. Our faith is personal. Nowhere in the Bible it says we should run off and hide. Remember that song? You know, let your light shine. This little light of mine. Oh, I'm going to let it shine means take it off baby let the light blare out there but Eliezer are standing there and people are running away he's like oh my goodness gracious in second samuel 23 10 it says but he stood his ground Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the philistines till his hands grew tired and froze to the sword the lord brought about a great victory that day you notice keep saying great victory you'll notice it as we go on he brought about a great victory not a decent victory not a regular victory not just a victory a great victory so his hands were froze to the sword. He was physically and emotionally exhausted, but he would not give in. He would not give in until he won a great victory for God. He refused to let go of the sword. He refused to stop fighting until he won a great victory. I actually I experienced somewhat of what he experienced when it comes to have your hand froze to something, frozen to something. That what that means is that you're, you're fighting so hard that your, your hand just freezes, literally. Your body freezes around whatever it's holding on to. I, I, when I was a youth pastor, I told this story years ago, I think. When I was a youth pastor, we went on a retreat, and there was a ropes course. And I had to go on this ropes course, and I was gonna be, I'm the leader, so I went first. And we're, you know, we're encouraging each other, and I was up there, and I wanted to take the hard route to show the students we can do this, and we're all in this together, and they were cheering me on. And what they didn't tell me, there's one with a rope that goes across, and these other ropes hang down, and there's little loops in the bottom. And you gotta swing out and grab the rope and swing out and grab the rope. Well, they, they, don't tell, they didn't tell me if I stopped to catch my breath, that you're pretty much done because it's very, very difficult to get that rope swinging again and keep going across because you're just so tired. So I was in the middle of this and I thought, oh, I'll just take a break. And the guy said, you know, you want me to get you down now? And I said, why? He goes, you're, you're probably not going to get through. Once you stop, no one really gets through. And the students are all 50 or 60 of them, come on, Jeff, you can do it. Oh, they're all screaming. So you don't want to look like a sissy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not living in Sissyville the rest of the week with these students. And so I, just, I was going to do it. And so I said, no, no, I can make it. 
And I started, I finally got that thing swinging a little bit. I don't even know how I did it. It was like an act of the Holy Spirit, maybe just giving me a push on the hip or something. And it just started going. And I was hanging on. And my, after a while, my muscles and my arms and my legs, because you're trying to do it, your whole body. You ever work out so hard that you're burning? I mean, your arms are burning, your legs are burning, and they start to, your muscles start to shake. I made it across. There was another rope hanging down. I had to grab that rope, and I, with both hands, I, I got, and I finally was able to shimmy onto this little board at the end, and I was literally sitting there on this board, and my hands were frozen to the ropes. And I had to take my chin on my, and go like this with my fingers to get my fingers loose from the ropes because my hands were frozen to the rope. So I, I understand, I literally understand what that means. Your tendons, your muscles tighten up and wherever your fingers were when you, when you were done, that's where they're staying. And I had to loosen them up that way. He was, he was in a battle. He was not going to give up. He was going to fight to, for the very heart of God and he was not going to leave his position. He was going to hold his ground no matter what the enemy said, no matter what the world said, no matter what was thrown at him, he was not going to give up and his hands were frozen to the sword. My friends, that's the kind of life that we need to live. This is the kind of example we need to follow. Eleazar, who refuses to give up regardless of the odds, regardless of how, his phys- how he felt physically, regardless of how he felt when everybody else was deserting him, because each one of us understand who are followers of Jesus Christ will have that experience if you truly follow Jesus. You will have this experience where you're looking around and going, where are the rest of you going? I don't understand. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you, what you hold, you believe that now? You, you're going along with culture? I don't understand. That's what's going to happen. It takes more than physical strength, I'm telling you right now, to keep moving forward when your body is giving out. It, this is a mental and spiritual battle. If we take frozen to the sword and apply it to us physically and mentally, this is more than just a physical battle where you, oh, I'm so strong. It is a mental and spiritual battle that you need to fight through. Taking a stand for Jesus is physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining. I'm telling you, it is absolutely draining when everyone's putting pressure on you to conform, to cheat at work, to, to, to fudge the numbers, to do whatever you're going to do. They, the pressure is overwhelming and it is physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining. And even though there are those out there who are willing to throw into the towel, followers of Jesus Christ need to stand strong and refuse to give up. You need to believe with all of your heart that you will overcome this alcohol problem that you have. You need to believe with all of your heart that you will overcome the drug addiction that you're facing. You need to believe with all of your heart that you will overcome the pornography addiction that you're facing. You need to believe with all of your heart that you will overcome your temper. You keep losing your temper, but you will overcome that. You need to believe with all of your heart that you will overcome that past abuse in your life. You'll overcome the struggle with loneliness. You'll overcome the struggle with, struggle with your finances, you overcome the struggle in your relationships that are just pounding down on you, you will overcome those things. But you have to fight. You have to fight so hard, you need to hold on with so much strength that your hand is froze to the sword, just like Eleazar. That's the way we need to live our lives. And my friends, a little side note, when you can no longer walk and you can no longer stand, when I am weak, then what? Exactly. Exactly. So when you feel like you feel like you have no more strength, you're in a perfect place. 
you're in a perfect place because not only will God give you the strength to go that extra mile, to take that extra step, but when you can't, the brothers and sisters in Christ here at the church will throw you on their shoulder and carry you the rest of the way. It's okay to be in a position where you can no longer take another step. What it's not okay to do is to let it go and not say anything to anyone else until you're rolled up in a ball and you can't take it and you're just wiped out. Before that time comes, you need to go to someone and say, I need your help to help me get through. I, I can't think anymore. Help me come up with a plan. I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything. Go to someone else. You may have tried everything, but God's resources are by no means extinguished or beyond what he has so much for you. You need to go to others and find out what some of those resources are. People in this church will help carry you the rest of the way. That is what's called the body of Christ. Another another mighty mighty man, Shammah. Shammah stood his ground to protect the provisions of the people. The people, you know, here, here's the crops and the, the, the enemy comes down. They're going to try to take the crops and Shammah's going to stand his ground. The, 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 the odds are overwhelming to start with. And in 2 Samuel 23, 11 and 12, it says this, next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at the place where they, there was a field uh, full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah stood his, uh, Shammah, took his stand in the middle of the field, in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory, a great victory. The Lord is looking for the mighty men and women of our day who are willing to defend their faith and stand up for a biblical worldview. I'm telling you right now, it's amazing to me how we've, we keep on moving. You know, there's True North. On, on Wednesday mornings at 7 o'clock in the morning, we, I get together with a group of men, and right now we're going through something called True North, and it's in Colossians. And it's basically saying it doesn't matter what the rest of the world says. It doesn't matter what culture says. We need to stay focused on what is true north, what is right, what is true. We need to hold our ground. And that's what God calls us to do, to hold our ground in the midst of a culture that is trying to push out or crush a biblical worldview. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here is your worldview, and you need to stand on your worldview and not be pushed around, not be swept around by every wind or or wave that comes along. Those who are willing to stand for truth will find themselves, if you are willing, you will find yourself in what feels like the middle of a battlefield with the enemy all around you. That's what I can promise you. I can promise you God will be there with you. I can promise you I'll grab my sword and go up the hill with you as well. But that's what you'll feel like. That's what, what will happen in your life. You'll feel like you're in the middle of a battlefield and, 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 and the enemy is surrounding you. That may happen in your classroom in high school or junior high. It may happen at your work. It may happen in your home where your family, some people in your family turn against you because of your stand for Jesus Christ. But we need to continue to stand. As the pressure to conform builds, you need to find yourself, you need to find yourself strong and surrounded by those who will help you. Because as the pressure and the need to conform, the pressure to conform, what will happen is that you'll be more and more isolated. You'll be more and more isolated. But in Jude chapter chapter 3, it encourages us to, to contend earnestly for the faith. We need to contend earnestly for the faith. We need to continue to stand up for Christ regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what our culture says or throws at us. My friends, we were not put on this earth 
to stand around and be pushed around by a culture that is constantly changing. We were put on this earth to stand for truth, not to conform and to cave in when the culture changes. The culture is constantly changing. Their truth may change, but our truth is built on a foundation that never changes. It doesn't matter what this culture tells you is right and wrong because their right and wrong always change. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. And whatever it is in 2010, it'll be different in 2020. And we're supposed to just go along with the waves. No, we're not. We're supposed to stand for truth, for God's truth, regardless of where our culture is going. Because our culture will always fall into different patterns of sin. But I was not called to follow sin. I was called to follow Christ. And regardless of what, what new social thing is coming out in our culture and this and that, and we're supposed to go along with this and we're intolerant and we're that and the other thing, you know what? I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ. Call me any name you want to call me. Insult me any way you want to insult me. Do whatever you want to do to me because at the end of the day, I want to, be, I want to stand worthy. I want to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be living in our lives. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, their definition of right and wrong, my friends, will always swim around, but our definition will never change. We are called to worship Christ in what? Spirit and not in flesh and compromise. In spirit and in truth, not in flesh and in compromise. I would rather, I would rather go down swinging and go down fighting and surrender to this culture, surrender to the enemy, run off the field of battle because someone's calling me names and telling me that I'm not, getting, I'm not going along with the crowd. I don't want to go on. I went along with the crowd the first 18 years of my life. It was the most miserable 18 years of my life that I experienced on earth. A beautiful picture of courage, a beautiful picture of worship, worshiping God. That's what we're talking about here is worshiping God is seen in the actions of David's mighty men in verses 15 through 17. David is longing. He's just exhausted. He's overwhelmed. And you know, you, you just want to feel when, uh, when you're in another country and something's going wrong, it's so comforting sometimes to be on home turf or to go to a place where they have hamburgers. You know what I mean? You're just like, oh, I could just, oh, boy, when I get back, I'm going to get a hamburger or a hot dog or something. Well, David is basically overwhelmed and he's saying, oh, if I could just have a refreshing drink of water from the well back in my hometown of Bethlehem. And, the, and David's mighty men, they go out and they, they, they break through the enemy lines. They, they fight overwhelming odds to bring him back water from the well in the, his hometown of Bethlehem. And, and it's, it's just this beautiful picture. Now, keep in mind that David didn't command them to do this. He was just saying it out loud. Boy, I would really, if I, if, boy, if I could just have, you know, maybe I'm just reminiscing up here about my favorite ice cream or something. And obviously that's much bigger. But then I wasn't saying, hey, Scott, go out and get me some ice cream. Or I command you all to get me Grater's ice cream. My favorite kind of Grater's ice cream is actually the, um, the um, what's it called? Um, black cherry with the chocolate chips in it. That, oh my goodness, good stuff. Christmas is coming, remember that. Um, so uh, yeah, I take gift cards. Um, 
So he's just talking out loud. He's not expecting they go out and do this. He's not, they didn't, he didn't command them to do it. It wasn't their military duty to do it. They had such a love for David. They wanted to do it. They saw their king was in need and they wanted to go out and they wanted to fight for their king. They wanted to bring him back that refreshing water. In the same way, our worship of God should not be performed as a duty, but as an act of devotion and love for our God. Listen to this. This is important. It is that love, it is that devotion that will give you the peace. This is what you want. This is why you're so, this is why we're pulled into this series because we want peace, we want joy, we want contentment in the midst of our suffering. That's what we want. And it is through our love and devotion of our God that he gives us the peace and the joy in the contentment in the midst of our suffering. He gives us the peace, the joy, and the contentment that we long for. That's where we get it. As we worship God, as we devote ourselves to God, as we show our love for God. It reminds me of a story that I, I, I read and I thought was awesome in the barbarian way by Erwin McManus. It says this, Robert the Bruce was the Scottish noble whose character is most remembered for betraying William Wallace. But he later rose up to lead Scotland to freedom after Wallace's execution. He died in 1329 at the age of 54. Shortly before his death, Robert de Bruce requested that his heart be removed from his body and taken on crusade by a worthy knight. James Douglas, one of his closest friends, was at his bedside and took on the responsibility. The heart of Robert de Bruce was embalmed and placed in a small container that Douglas carried around his neck. In every battle that Douglas fought, he literally carried the heart of his king pressed against his chest. In the early spring of 1330, Douglas sailed from Scotland to Grenada, Spain, and engaged in a campaign against the Moors. In an ill-fated battle, Douglas found himself surrounded. And in, his situation, in, his, uh, and his, in this situation, death was both certain and imminent. In that moment, Douglas reached for the heart strapped to his neck, flung the heart into the enemy's midst and cried out, fight for the heart of your king. Fight for the heart of your king. Sometimes it feels like the enemy's pressing in, the battle is lost, it's so overwhelming. But you know what? When that time comes, we need with all of our hearts to cry out, fight for the heart of your king. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. His, his truth doesn't change. And as and maybe the world around us may change, but Jesus never changes. And we need to fight for the heart of our king. True worship, it, true worship will involve our time, our talents, and our treasures. It will involve our sacrifice. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know who signed you up to be a Christian, but the truth is to be a follower of Jesus Christ will take a sacrifice of your time, your talents, and your treasures. It is who you are. It is your very heart, your very soul given to your Savior. That's what being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about. It's not sitting around and kind of going along and blowing your Bible off once in a while and pulling your God out of a box and hoping he'll do something for you, shake the God. Oh, what does the God say today? Oh, um, things will go very well for you. That's not who God is. And God calls us to live that kind of life. Now, David takes the water that they brought back and he pours it out. And you might be thinking, pours it out? Why would he pour it out? Some people think when they first read that, boy, it's, you know, it explains it, obviously. But it's, boy, what, he's basically saying these guys wasted their time and effort. It was a big waste of their time and effort to go out to battle, to go into battle for their king. Not at all. Not at all. David considered this act to be so significant that he elevated it. 
He raised it up. He honored it by giving the water as a drink offering to God. He was not worthy to drink that water, and he poured that water out on the ground as a drink offering to God. Spending time with God in prayer, spending time with God in reading of his word may appear to some people to be a waste of time and effort. Oh, you know, and you think about it, well, after all, it doesn't, you know, praising God and thanking God doesn't, doesn't uh, feed the hungry or give a place to live for the homeless, so therefore it must be a waste of time. But from God's perspective, our quiet worship and our, our active worship it is more than that. It has great value. It brings refreshment. It brings refreshment to the heart of our king. It brings refreshment to his heart. See, we're all looking for peace and joy and contentment in our lives. We're all looking for that. But those things can only be found as we give our wholehearted devotion, our love and our devotion to our king, our worship to our king. Joy is a product of taking delight in Jesus Christ. Jesus taught us that. In John chapter 15, 8 through 11, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy, my friends, is made complete when we find our joy in him. And I'm going to tell you something. We cannot, you, you cannot find joy in this world. You cannot find joy, you cannot find biblical joy, peace, or contentment in this world. You can find happiness sometimes, depending on the circumstances, but peace, joy, and contentment belong to God. And I'm going to tell you, this is how, this is how it's proved. You can find peace, joy, and contentment in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the storm you're going through right now. You can find peace, joy, and contentment in the midst of your suffering. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider, listen to this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In the midst of your suffering you can experience joy. You can experience peace. You can experience contentment. Peace, joy, and contentment grow in the midst of the hardest soil. Often in the harshest conditions, they come. Those three things come as we mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ, as we grow in him and we look at things from an eternal perspective. That's how we find them. When we find peace, joy, and contentment, when, when we step outside of ourselves, we must die to self. Do you want to find peace, joy, and contentment in the midst of the storm? Do you want to be where the rain ends? Then you need to die to self. Do a study, a biblical study, on what it means to die to self, to die to yourself, and to live for him. You will find everything you need. You will find all the peace, all the joy, all the contentment that you need. Whether you're in the storm or out of the storm or going into the storm, you'll have those things because they don't come from anything the world can offer you. They only come from worshiping a loving, compassionate, awesome God. They thrive in the environment of worship. They thrive in the environment of worship, not just on a Sunday morning, but seven days a week at work, at school, at home, in our car. They thrive in an environment of worship. Victory over adversity comes as we stand and we fight for the heart of our king. 
Victory over adversity comes as we stand and we fight for the heart of our king. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to give us to be here together. And Father, we pray that as we go through the rain, that we would draw from, the, from, from these three mighty men, Eleazar, Shammah, Josheb Basabeth, that we draw from their experiences, that we stand for you, that we work together, that we strive together, that we fight together. And Father, when we have nothing left, that you carry us together. Father, we want to give our lives to you. We devote our lives to you. We want our lives to be a spiritual act of worship that we dedicate to you every single day because we know when we do that, we'll experience all the joy, all the peace, and all the contentment that you can offer and this world cannot. And so we raise our lives up to you, Lord God, and ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that we use us in a powerful way that would be worthy. We would be worthy, worthy, to stand for you, to live for you, to sacrifice for you, and to share you with all those around us. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. We'll see you Wednesday night. We'll be here Wednesday night to talk about this in greater depth. Have a great week.